I'm Stuart Chittenden and this is Lives, a show about conversation, community and the people that bring community to life. Each week the show will feature a theme following the alphabet. This week is the inaugural week of the show. That means, of course, the letter A drives this week's theme, which is arts. And to help me consider community and arts, I have with me in the studio today Waddy White, the well-known, uh, nationally acclaimed uh, artist. Good to, uh, good to see you. Great to be here. So how did you embark on being an artist? How did you discover that this was going to be your calling? You know, um, it is something that you you kind of do all your life without really kind of realizing it. I think that uh, there was only ever very few things that moved me in the way that that art did. Um, and as uh, as you got older, uh, you could continue doing art in the way that you couldn't uh, kind of continue other things in the same in the same manner. So that uh, when I was when I was young, I would paint and draw. I mostly draw, uh, and then as I got older, I just kind of kept doing it. When I when I went, you know, when I was going through school in in high school, it was uh, a constant thing I I did to kind of uh, keep myself occupied, to keep myself engaged, to keep myself uh, exploring new things. And then as I went to went to college, it was uh, something I loved, so I just kept kept pr- allowing myself to do the things that I that I loved. And then after I graduated, I uh, was uh, thoroughly unemployable. Uh, and but I had this this idea that I I knew what if I could figure out how to do more of it, I would be uh, I would be happier and it would be sort of sustainable. So it was more of a almost more of a math problem at that at that point. Um, and then eventually got con- convinced to quit the job I I didn't like, quit the the career that seemed like it might pay me a little bit, but but I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't love it, um, and see what would happen. And, uh, it's been a little over 20 years since then. And, uh, you know, you do a lot of things in order to, to kind of keep making art, to keep, uh, being sustainable. You, you invest a lot in your own development. You, uh, work constantly. Um, I'm kind of terrible on vacations, even in, in Paris. I, you know, I wrote a uh, hundred pages or so. I I did you know ten fifteen drawings. I I went and studied at the museums for the three days I'm there. I'm studying at the museums, you know, half of each day, um, because it's uh, the most sort of sustainably fascinating thing I know. I, I want to talk a little bit more, uh, well, a lot more actually, about your art and its role in community. But let's start a little bit earlier. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background and upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I was born very young, um, <laughs> uh, mostly because I wanted to be near my mother. Uh, no, I, uh, I, I did most of my growing up in a very rural, uh, unincorporated part of Southern Illinois, kind of by, right by St. Louis, but, um, but out in the, out in the, out in the sticks. And, uh, my parents were anthropologists and we were, uh, we were pretty dirt poor, um, you know, growing up. And so, uh, you know, there were, uh, there was a, a lot of isolation. So you had to figure out how to, uh, explore things yourself. You would, uh, hike around the woods a lot. Um, I, uh, worked since I was, was very young and, um, and some of those ways of, of exploring things were, uh, were through drawing and were through art making or, or writing or, 
um, playing the kind of games that, that we're, we're sort of playing then. And uh, a lot of it um, allowed me to bypass uh, those windows where everyone else in the world seemed to get embarrassed by drawing or, or art making and stop. And so I just didn't stop. I didn't, didn't have that person who, uh, who sort of shamed me that my drawings were terrible, that when I was 10, I drew like a 10-year-old. Uh, and so um, having that not happen wound up you know, depositing me at, at 18, uh, feeling like there was something uh, special to be found through making stuff. Through, uh, through sort of figuring out this kind of strange language of, uh, of art making, both of, of you know, painting or drawing or two-dimensional things were, were the stuff that made, that made the most sense. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, the other, the other great love was, was actually football at the time. So I played, <laughs> I played football all through, all through college, and that was a big, uh, a big thing that helped me uh, get out of the, of the, the, the community that I, that I grew up in and the kind of isolation that I had. Um, and get out into a, a broader, wider world where I could, I could see new things. I could, I could meet people that weren't like me. That weren't people who, um, although, uh, you know, we were the weird, the weird family who moved in late, and we were never sort of part of uh, the community that we that I grew up in. We were always sort of the outcasts of that community. I think my alma mater used me as a recruiting tool for a while, <laughs> just because, because uh, it, it it turned out that like I uh, I won a lot of accolades as a as a football player, and uh, and at the same time I was uh, you know sort of a sensitive artist, uh, and the two the two things that don't seem to fit together uh, socially like you know sort of nationwide um, seem to make uh, to make a lot of sense to me like they. They uh, athletics seemed very akin to uh, to dance. I think that you got like I definitely found that I was getting into the same kind of uh, mental state as you know I was always pursuing this sort of state of flow, um, and it was happening when I was uh, ex you know doing a sport, and it was happening when uh, I was drawing. It was happening whenever I could uh, allow myself to. Uh, pursue something that was based out of that kind of curiosity and to see what I could find. Did, did those two aspects of your personality live together or, or did you feel maybe bifurcated in some way as you were a teenager? Are you an artist mm -hmm. or are you an athlete? W were you both? Did they inform each other or did you have to make a choice? You know, I actually also had uh, uh, another thing that was really kind of unique, which is that um, the the so it, growing up where I did in Southern Illinois, Calhoun High School, uh, you know it was very rural and very poor. And the one thing that everybody that really kind of brought everybody together was football. Was the high school football team, and the head coach of the high school football team was also the art teacher for the entire school district. And he was like this this big fat guy who made a lot of jokes. And uh, you know I've you know reconnected with him on Facebook and in doing so I've really kind of under you know come to understand that you know at the time I was certainly looking for male role models in my life and having this uh, guy who loved football and loved art and made a lot of jokes about a lot of a lot of things uh, is some is sort of a personality type that's resonated with me ever ever since and so they really did kind of they weren't mutually exclusive in my head and they didn't seem like they were it 
like I understood in the greater world once I got to, to college that that those social groups or I mean, I, I saw Revenge of the Nerds in high school as well. And uh, like those social groups are not supposed to overlap so fully, um, but they really kind of felt like they were not competing things, but they were sort of sympathetic uh, impulses. You are listening to Lives. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back to Mind and Soul 101.3 FM. You are listening to the show Lives. I am Stuart Chittenden, and I'm sitting here with uh, the artist Waddy White. We were just talking before the break there about your upbringing and being uh, both artist and athlete. And I'm I'm curious if in, in, in your rural background, you, you felt any tension in terms of what was expected of a, of a young teenage mm. boy at the time? What was expected in, in uh, your surroundings, your culture? D- did you dampen down the identity as an artist and amplify that as an athlete? Or, or were you... Uh... you know, pro- probably. I mean, definitely uh, the, being an athlete was a, a thing that got me um, rewards. Even just being on the team, I didn't have to be good. And I would still get you know, free haircuts or I'd still get the occasional free hamburger. You know, things that really meant a lot at at 15 or or 16 um and you know it it wasn't really even that uh art was something that wasn't uh uh or wasn't thought you know really highly of but it was sort of education in general like they they didn't really like uh people wanting to be uh smart kids or um you know they thought that if you were just if you were a smart kid you were just gonna be a smart kid it wasn't about uh, pursuing your education or, or trying to be, to be more, um, or, or fostering that kind of curiosity and drive to, to really explore things. Um, and so it was more like, uh, like being an artist didn't make me a nerd, but, uh, wanting to be smart made me a nerd. Um, the leaning on, uh, on football and the, the ability that it gave me to, even I think there was something about it, it building the confidence in me to to get out to to go and to do to do something else, um, to see to see something more of the world or to see um, to see how good you could be because having aspirations as a football player, uh, those were that was uh, I mean it was still rare there but it was it was something that um, was respected. You knew that if you if I went off and became an all American, I would come back and people would would like me for it. So it, to be clear, um, you did go off and you were all American uh, and, yeah. and I think that's worth pointing <laughs> out uh, yeah. but it's dare I say it it's also a bit of a cliche in the sense that one becomes a successful athlete to remove oneself from the community one is in yeah it, it's not that you're saying 
you left to become an artist, even though that's what you are. And, and I wonder if you reflect back on that idea of leaving to be an athlete. That was yeah. your ticket out, as it were. But. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of it's also kind of funny because the idea of being of being an artist was uh, something that even then felt uh, very long term. Like I was going to be an artist. I was pretty sure I was going to be an artist in some way all my life. I had no idea how you could uh, live that way. But um, but I also was always very aware of the the very compressed uh, life of being an athlete. I, you know, I am not an imposing physical specimen. So uh, I knew that it wasn't going to, even in my fantasies, they they didn't really play out that I became, uh, you know, a, a, a professional uh, athlete. Um, but that I could uh, have this this way of going off into a into a world and and being uh, ambitious. I really loved the idea of being able to go and to try to do something great. So tell me then, you you've talked about this idea mm -hmm. of being um, being an artist and having identified that quite early, and also it being something that is intrinsic to how you see yourself, how you identify mm -hmm. yourself. And I, I wonder if you might talk a little bit more about um, how you perceive. Uh, your self-identity as an artist um you know it's it's kind of funny it's a little bit uh a little bit self-obsessive and i think that there's there's something about the commitment that you make to when you decide that you're gonna um own up to it publicly you're gonna say that you're an artist you're gonna say that you are uh trying to live this way um and it's you know, the older I get, the more like knowable it all seems to do, the more doable it all seems to be. Um, but, uh, you know, 20 years ago, I kind of accepted the the idea that uh, I would I would do this. I would try to be an artist. And the deal I would make is that I would never stop, is that I would never um, I would not aspire to selling you know making a million dollar painting and then selling and being a millionaire and retiring like uh the 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 joy is in the making of it and the the career it turns out is in pursuing that joy um so that it winds up being that i see most of my life through the lens of uh of making art of of how i uh can process it or how i can find something else that I'm curious about or how I can, uh, you know, generate more ideas of things that fascinate me, that, that give me um, the kind of excitement and energy to, to, to show up every day, not just show up, but like show up eagerly, wake up early uh, to get to the studio so that, because I, you know, I know that I can get five hours if I can get up five hours earlier at the studio and I can, uh, get more work done. I can make more things and be see. I get to solve the little mystery of what is that thing going to look like when when it's made. Uh, and so there's a very thin membrane between uh, your work and your and your life uh, as a as an artist. I want to ask you, what does community mean to you? Um, you know, that's kind of a good question because I don't I don't know that I have a great answer for it. Um, I've always been uh someone who felt like a visitor i think when um you know when we moved to where i did most of my growing up in michael illinois um i was uh, five six seven years old something like that and 
uh, moving into that kind of community where mo the vast majority of the people who lived there, the vast majority of the people I went to school with, um, belonged to the same five or six families that had been there for generations upon generations. And uh, they uh, always saw us as the weird, uh, overly intellectual, you know, acad you know, learning, book learning sort of family who moved in and we were the weird people who did weird things that weren't what, what other people did. And so I was never, um, and you know, I was a, always a little bit of an outcast and, a, you know, everything was small. So, you know, in a, in a classroom of, you know, 12 kids, like, you know, there aren't that many social groups. Um, but I was never at the, at the center of any of them. And then, uh, coming into, into college, um, I found that I was, uh, a welcome member of most of the circles that I was interested in, in uh, being around. Um, but also, again, never at the center of any of them, even, even in my sort of art and football circles. Um, you know, I was in the football circle. I was, I was the art guy and in the art circle, I was the football guy. And so I was, I was always like um, a, a good addendum to it, um, but never uh, right at the center. And, also kind of early on, I knew that my my life was not going to be in the in the community that I, you know, had lived in since I was, you know, six or seven. It was going to be somewhere out else out in the, the broader world. And that meant that I was going to start uh, finding my people and finding the sort of uh, communities of people who uh, embraced me for, for who I, who I was, not just who they thought my family was or who they thought, who they assumed I would be from my name or from my appearance or from, from anything like that. And so in, you know, in, in Minnesota where I, where I lived for a while, um, you know, I kind of built a community around me that were based around, uh, around sort of shared values more than, um, the kind of, uh, you know, baggage that we would bring in as, you know, from our families or from our, where we were born. Um, you know, that then the same thing happened in, uh, in Chicago where I, where I lived for, for 10 years before, uh, moving to Omaha, uh, about 10 years ago. And so I, I feel like this pattern of, uh, being displaced, uh, finding, uh, my sort of family of, of choice, um, you know, kind of over and over, uh, is something that I'm, I'm pretty familiar with. So even, even in, in Omaha, I feel like I'm repeating that process, um, you know, kind of with every, every project that I do, every, every community project that I do. It sounds as if the way you describe that dislocation and then the movement, the geographical movement, mm -hmm. it sounds as if you're describing a very active, deliberate, uh, endeavor to find community every time you step out of a community. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's pretty right. I mean, I think that you, uh, whatever you sort of, when you move, when you come into a new uh, situation, um, you know, sort of being an being an extroverted person, I I want to find uh, I want to find the people that I share those values with, and the you know the more the more that selfishly I can learn through that process or the more I can see of things that I haven't seen before or think thoughts that I haven't thought before, the, the more uh, entertaining and, and invigorating that, that whole process is going to be. Um, 
and the and because I'm working as an artist, because like this process of learning my learning my world around me winds up getting filtered through my my work again and again. Um, it you know for a very long time it was happening in um, paintings or or prints or things that I would I would process it through in the just inside the studio. Um, and since moving to Omaha. Uh, you know, there's been uh, a lot, a lot of opportunity to to find ways to process that that kind of community building um, more in public. You are listening to Lives. We'll be back after the break. You are listening to Mind and Soul, 101.3 FM. Welcome back to Lives. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden, and my guest today is artist Waddy White. So how is your art in particular related to or engaged with community life? Um, so I've been incredibly fortunate in having the, the opportunities to do the, the projects that I have or to, um, to be able to uh, figure out ways to, to do these projects, figure out ways to, to, to make them happen. Um, and with each one, uh, you know, the, so my public art uh, takes usually takes the shape of collaborations with area nonprofits that that do some sort of community based social justice work, um, Habitat for Humanity, Justice for Our Neighbors, uh, in common community development, uh, people like that who are are living this mission that has a, attracted me to them uh, personally. Like they're they're doing amazing things of which I don't really feel like I would be capable of doing their, doing their job. Um, and we would, I, you know, through talking with them, uh, either there is a, uh, an idea that, uh, that we, we sort of light upon that feels like it is, it is ripe with, uh, you know, with something creatively beautiful in it. And a lot of times that with that will, locate us in you know at a specific spot with uh with uh habitat for humanity there was a, a series of uh condemned homes on emmett street uh within common community development there was a uh, hundred uh hundred foot tall uh you know brick wall in the middle of their neighborhood and so i would uh look at this one spot and i would kind of ask myself um what is it that can happen right here at this at this spot that could not actually happen anywhere else what what does this one thing have that that uh that you couldn't do if you if you look at the this one wall as a as a resource what does it bring that that is unique about it and what that often winds up being is that it's a it's a, a locus around which um a community has uh their own lives going you know the and, and their own lives have these same uh, these same 
dramatic and beautiful and profound uh, stories to them, even though most more often than not, uh, people don't think that their lives are profoundly beautiful. They think that their their own lives, their own struggles are too common or too ordinary or or not, uh, you know, if, if they had, you know, profound things in their lives, they would be profound people, I think they think. And surely they, you know, surely they can't be. Whoever whoever this is, hypothetically, that I'm talking to. Um, and I think that when you start to, when you ask them questions about their lives, about the things that they have gone through, the kind of struggles that they have had, the what they have overcome or what they have failed to overcome, what they have uh, seen that, humbled them or what they they had seen that had filled them with with pride um they revealed to you the the most amazing things most of what i you know in in sort of finding these communities and in uh using whatever uh means i have at, at my disposal to tell their stories to to listen carefully when someone tells me their what you know something of their life and try to record it and try to do it justice um to give this person's perspective like an unanticipated megaphone um so that it's uh a little bit bigger and a little bit brighter and it and they have someone who is pointing out to to other people um that this person had this this amazing story this person had this amazing uh, part of their life of which many of us were were ignorant. Is there one in particular that you could share with us, perhaps, uh, and, and maybe just talk through that that project and some of the interactions you had with community and and, and maybe what the implications of that were? Um, you know, I think that one of the things that that uh, was kind of unexpectedly successful, I think, like uh, were were the houses that I that I got to to work with on Emmett Street. Um, these were homes that were were owned by uh, Habitat for Humanity and had been slated for demolition and had been sitting uh, fallow in these neighborhoods for uh, decades. And uh, one of the, uh, the, the, the very sort of strange things that really kind of stuck with me in talking with, with Habitat was that even if they had been given these homes as a, a, a complete donation by whoever the owner was or the city or whoever, they had to raise twelve thousand dollars to demolish it. That it it had this this great negative value. Like there, it was a it was a curse in order to, if you were given this thing, and that's that seems so strange to me. This the, the idea that these that this home that had had such a long life. These were buildings that were a hundred years old that were still standing. That were you know made of these materials that. Uh, surely had some sort of value. Uh, that all of this uh, was only seen as a blight. Um, and so, what I wound up doing was first going into uh, going into the buildings and removing uh, with an assistant um, uh, wood things I could I could potentially make something out of because I also have the uh, uh, the habit of committing to projects without having any idea what uh, 
like what exactly it is, but having an idea of the process I will go about to kind of figure it out. And the process, the best process I could think of was first to try to make something of, of value physically out of the, the material of the house. And I could think of that we could make benches that you could sit on and we could make planters that you could replant. There was roses that had not been killed off in the yard. And so we were trying to re replant those, you know, conserve the, the things that they, that they had. And, um, and we also started making uh, tables out of them. And in going into the houses, you know, some of them were, were full of trash. Some of them were completely empty. Some of them were, uh, you know, gutted by, by a fire. And we would go in and we would remove doors and kitchen cabinetry and, and baseboards. And we'd find things that were hidden behind the baseboards or had fallen back there, uh, you know, 100 years ago. And in doing that, we'd make a little bit of a spectacle of ourselves carrying, you know, going into these uh, dilapidated abandoned homes, carrying things out. Um, and people would naturally, the neighbors would naturally be curious. If you're walking by on the street, they would say, what, what are you doing? Or they would look at me a little funny. And, um, that would be an invitation to go say hello and, uh, to ask them if they would talk to me and ask them if they would, um, if they would tell me a story about the house or a story about their neighborhood or a story about their own life that they, uh, that they had had lived in would would share and for the most part if you are the you know one of the lessons I feel like I learned was that if you are genuinely curious and you listen you will hear amazing things and so I took these stories that people would told me and I made paintings based on them you know just trying to narrate the the stories themselves and and to use the people who were telling me the stories to get them to to model for me to act, to to help tell the story you know visually, and then I would uh, so for that I made a, a total of 81, um, 81 paintings that I then uh, scanned and printed on uh, vinyl and glued to sheets of plywood, which when we took off the plywood from the outside of the windows we we put these paintings on the insides of the windows so that to to view the, the the piece you you walked around the you walked around the building and you looked you looked in the windows which it, granted got a little creepy made it feel like you're you're voyeuring a little bit um but it also uh told so many of the stories so much of the you know as a whole so much of the life that that house had had and so we were able to track down people who used to live in the home and would uh, tell me stories about growing up, tell me about their family, tell me about uh, the the trials or or great things, the things that they were so proud of. That uh, you know, the I, I remember hearing about the the kind of pride that this woman's mother had that she was able, as a single mom, able to buy a home and raise her daughters, and then not only raise her daughters, but help raise her grandkids. That the kind of uh, pride and ownership and like uh, life that she was able to, to lead there, which then got reflected in the kind of stories that that were told to me and the stories that that I narrated in in the, the, the paintings, um, was really wonderful. And I think the part of it also was, was kind of coming around to understanding that uh, I was, I was making these, uh, you know, this this installation of of art, the, all these paintings, these things that were as good as I could possibly make them, as smart as I could possibly make them, and they weren't, uh, 
they weren't intended to go in a gallery. They weren't intended to. I wasn't making them hoping that a uh, you know a philanthropist in Kansas City was going to buy them. I was. Uh, my viewers were the neighbors. My viewers were the neighborhood that it was in. You are listening to Lives. We'll be back after the break. You are listening to Mind and Soul, 101.3 FM. Welcome back to Lives. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden, and my guest today is artist Waddy White. It sounds as if you have to go in vulnerably as an mm -hmm. artist, which also then demands a little bit of vulnerability from the community itself. Has, has that uh, presented any surprises and, and delights or any particular um, problems? You know, I've, I've, been, I've, I've been so surprised, uh, you know, again and again with uh the kind of reception that that I get with the kind of uh the way that that people who I'm you know meeting for the first time or for the first couple of times who don't you know I I know they don't really know me I don't really know them um and somehow they kind of intuit not not exactly what I'm doing but what I'm trying to do and the and they don't have like some great faith that I'm going to pull it off but they they uh, you know, the, the impulse is something that we share that, that I'm, I'm wanting to, uh, do everything I, I can to show, uh, to reflect back to this community, the, the beauty of the things that they will share with me. Um, and whatever that, that is, and like, they don't necessarily know that that's going to come off the way, the way it, it did, but, um, but they definitely know that that's, that's the idea. That you know, and I think that being kind of vulnerable like that is is a little bit part and parcel of uh, of being an artist. That you uh, you train yourself into vulnerability. You train yourself to be sensitive to uh, what you're seeing or what you're hearing, or uh, to how um, the interactions between people or objects or 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 communities like that. You you observe it a lot, and you try to notice and understand things um, as much as you would ever try to uh, you know show them off or, or express them like the, the 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 more profound thing is to to see it and experience it yourself we were talking about public art and I wanted to expand that to our community which is Omaha I have seen some research from the National Endowment for the Arts and Americans for the Arts and they suggest that Something happens when an individual actively engages in the arts that awakens both a heightened sense of identity and civic awareness. Uh, people are more socially engaged and demonstrate positive individual and civic behaviors. And those findings make me wonder, what, uh, what does Omaha need to do to enable artistic contributions to a healthy, vibrant, equitable community? Well, I, to I, mean, I actually, I totally believe in all the the findings and i know that there's been 
um, you know, a significant study, you know, many significant studies of the impact of, of public art on communities, the impact on public art in uh, uh, sort of citywide um, that has remarkable and kind of, uh, you know, hard to understand correlated, uh, you know, positive effects, you know. And in my own my own life, like in, in my own sort of personal life, I know that a lot of my uh, a lot of my drive to uh, you know make art to, is to try to convey um, something of the kind of powerful experiences that I had myself with with art. You know, uh, twenty years ago, I um, I I went to Paris for the first time, and I saw uh, the first great painting I had ever I had ever seen um, a giant water lily painting by by Claude Monet and it and it uh, astounded me and befuddled me and I had no idea how a person could have made that thing I had no idea why it looked the way it did why the, when I looked at it it seemed to move all these these things that seemed quasi mystical at, at the time um, that when I when I left uh, I had the feeling of uh, not only was this a thing that I wanted more than anything to understand and more than anything to be able to, to do even just once in my life and that I would uh, that I would I would pursue doing that because how remarkable a person must you be if you're able to do this remarkable thing uh, to make a remarkable thing like that and I thought about that I kind of literally thought about that painting uh, whenever I made anything for the last 20 years. It was something that came up in my head over and over again. And I know uh, shifted what kind of person I was, what kind of person I was going to be. And a lot of the reason for my my impulsive uh, trip to, to Paris was to go see that painting that I had not seen uh, since that day in you know 1996. Uh, and I was 24 at the time and I was just you know just a a, a boy and I was uh, you know scared and didn't know my place in the world and didn't know what kind of life I was going to have the you know I was going to get to to have um, and I went the first thing I did when I got there is I I went directly to uh, the Lerangerie the museum where that painting is and I sat in front of it for two hours. And uh, while a lot of the technical things, the things I thought were uh, so moving before, were the the mystery of them wasn't wasn't the the experience. The experience wasn't like awe of what is this technical masterpiece. It was uh, not only it was basking in this the beauty and and profound. Uh, you know, really um, amazing experience. The, the painting did not get worse in the 20 years. Um, but also this feeling of uh, incredible uh, memory of that day, of the moment that I was looking at it before, of the hour or so I spent with it 20 years ago. And I spent two hours on a bench staring at it, like uh, looking at, what the last 20 years of my life has been and, and how they had been shifted and affected by that, that one day with that one painting and how it had driven me to uh, not only want to, to make something someday that would convey to, to any other person 
the kind of experience that that I had, you know, one on one in a in a dark or in a a, a well lit, beautiful room where they get to sit in front of this this you know this incredible masterpiece, but also to to kind of know uh, inherently that um, having an experience like that is possible, and that people do have those experiences, and and it's real, and that it 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 doesn't just change. Um, you know, people hypothetically, and it's not a, uh, it's not a, a, a ploy to get more arts funding somehow. It is, uh, you know, one of the most profound things that ever happened to me and that it happens uh, every day. And that if you make a great thing and that you are able to allow someone to uh, have access to it, um, and especially if that person doesn't expect it, especially if you can surprise them with something uh, profound and beautiful that resonates with them, that there's the chance that it could uh, ignite something that shifts the kind of person that they are. I mean, I know that experience made me more of who I've always wished to be than, uh, than most anything else that's, that's happened to me. And if that, you know, if that is something that is possible for me, then that's something that's possible for for anybody. And so having that, you know, making that, that kind of experience, uh, possible in Omaha, uh, feels like the best thing that I can think of to do. I feel like is something that, uh, we should try to build sustainably into, into the fabric of our community. And I think that means, uh, finding ways for more artists to make more work and more artists to get their own thoughts out there and more people to get uh, their own uh, kind of life experiences and uh, to make the work that's going to enable them to make something great later. Uh, and there's, cause there's no way around just doing the work in order to, in order to get better, in order to make that great thing. You have been listening to the show lives, a show about conversation, community, and the people that make community come alive. And you've been listening to one of those people, Wally White, the artist. Thank you so much, Wally, for your time. Thank you, Stuart. This is really great. Come on. Get it. Uh. You are listening to Lives. We'll be back after the break. So welcome to this part of the show called Dialogue. With me in the studio today are my panelists. There is Diana Martinez, who is Filmstream's Education Director. She's currently working on a PhD in Film and Media Studies at the University of Oregon. Diana also writes about film and television. Her work has appeared in Slate and The Atlantic. Hello, Diana. Hi, thank you. Uh, also with me is Amy Mather, librarian at Omaha Public Library. She teaches part-time at Metropolitan Community College and is the host of Whatever Mathers, currently on hiatus. Uh, she loves art, yoga, and culinary history. Hello, Amy. Hello, Stuart. And uh, also here is Keisha Holloway. Uh, she is a social selling butterfly at LinkedIn. She has a bachelor's degree in marketing, a master's degree in organizational leadership, and is a graduate of the Interface Web School Full Stack Java course. 
Keisha is a cancer survivor. She loves developing relationships and embracing human relationships. Hello, Keisha. Peace and love, Stuart. <laughs> <laughs> so the theme, the theme for our panel is art. And I, I just want to start by asking each of you, when you think of art, what do you think of? Um, I th- uh, Amy speaking here. So I think about a lot of things. Uh, so one of the things I'm thinking about lately a lot is curation mm. of art. Art expresses itself through great curation. And that is in direct, that directly relates to, um, I just started managing the Omaha Public Library Art Gallery after retirement in this past January. So I've been working with Alex Priest from the Bemis, and he's an amazing curator. So I've been thinking about how he curates all the shows and just watching his process and thinking how he tells the story through his curation. So that's kind of what I've been thinking about lately. Dana, what do you think when you think about? Um, unfortunately, coming from my background, uh, I studied film and media studies in a humanities department and um, film uh, and kind of art film was always thought of as like a peripheral like thing that you add to a curriculum or a syllabus. Um, so for me, like when I think about art, I think about the hierarchies of art. Um, so I actually just taught a course at Film Streams on independent film. Um, and one of the things that I really wanted to stress there is that, right, this division between independent film and mainstream Hollywood are, is this kind of not real division that are divided along the lines of like race and class and taste. Um, and the same thing, you know, of the rest of the visual arts or the performing arts. Like the ballet is for a certain type of person or whatever. And so is uh, contemporary art, even though there is art everywhere. And and that's really sad because the art supplies, right, the paintbrushes, the paper, the pens, the pencils are readily available to so many people. They're an egalitarian medium, Um, yet the art market and the actual art world is really divided in terms of, like, class and who has access to that world. What about you, Keisha? Um, when I think of art, I think of um, expression and inspiration, especially now that I'm a mother, um, because my daughters are very expressive in the way that they color and draw, and it um, evokes a lot of emotion in them. So I can tell what kind of mood they were in when they bring their work home, and um, even when we go to like uh, open house at their, their elementary school. And I get to see the different artwork on the the walls of the school. Um, I get to tell what type of children are um, my my daughter's socializing with and the type of things that they're engaged in. And I feel like that's a beautiful way to express yourself. Um, prior to becoming a mother, I, I've always been appreciative of art, um, African art especially. Um, I grew up in a home with lots of beautiful African statues and posters and things with, uh, you know, beautiful African-Americans with big Afros and things like that. So that was my glimpse into art as a child. And um, now that I'm growing up and I'm a mother, um, I've become more appreciative of the the way that art allows one to express themselves um, and be creative and just evoke whatever emotions they're feeling at the time. So that's that's interesting 
that uh, you can see in your kids that mm-hmm. art is influencing them and how it's influencing them. And I'm I'm wondering about uh, you and and Diana and Amy too. How art has influenced you? What sort of capacity it has to influence, and and how it has influenced you in your life? Well, for me, I I have lots of beautiful art in my home that depicts. Um, black women in a very powerful and strong way because I know that those images are something that I see every day. It it gives me a good feeling about myself and my self-image and my self-esteem, and I want to instill that in my daughters. So I have lots of powerful black art in my home um, that does just that, and I think it's important that we see that every day. Mm. I'm seeing you nodding your head. Uh, is, is that a, a nod of recognition? It is, yeah. Um, I think especially coming, like, I'm a Latina mm-hmm. and coming in, you know, into the film world as a graduate school and now, like, as my career, um, when we think of issues of representation in art, uh, like, who's missing are racial and ethnic minorities and women, right? So the representation of, of these people is really important because, like, it's important for children um, and anybody, really, to be able to see themselves Absolutely. in art, has there been something influential in your life, Amy? Um, well, my mom dabbled in lots of careers. Uh, she was a high school teacher and taught art. She also um, cut up carpet samples and made pictures with that. And like I grew up in West Virginia, so I was around the um, people from Appalachia, the Appalachian culture making, you know, mandolins, uh, bluegrass, making Mm -hmm. pottery, this, everything was like, you go in the middle of like a mountain where there's like no electricity. You're like, whoa, this is pretty amazing. So I've had that and then going on to college. And so it's always been this sort of amazing interest and it just grew and grew. You know, you've, you've talked about that experience in Appalachia and how the culture and the community embraced it. So is that something that art can do for us? Um, maybe bring us into community, give us a different perspective on what community is, maybe even do something provocative and tell us what community shouldn't be. Absolutely. I, I agree with that um, statement in terms of connecting with the community. Whenever I travel with my daughters, I make sure we go to a museum, especially if it's a small, local, nonprofit um, museum that's going to give us as much information as possible about the culture of the city we're in, just learn about the people and the food and um, everything about the place we're in, just to give them that experience because I want those fingerprints to be embedded in them, to, like you said, allow them to know that they can do and be whatever they want to be and that everything starts somewhere and we're all rooted in some history and I think that's the beautiful thing about art. It's so timeless, but it's historic at the same time. One of the interesting things about art and community is that I feel like that, right, like those art initiatives that are local are one of the few ways that children get exposed to art, that adults get exposed to art sometimes. Um, and I think in times of like great political strife, like that's what you need. Um, but to think of, 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 Art and these spaces that house art as political spaces um, is an interesting way to think about art in a community as a way to, you know, get together with like-minded people and, um, like, gather around an object or materials that have meaning 
uh, not just to the artist, but to to anyone who sees it. If if you, if you could just make something happen, what one community-based art thing, intervention, initiative would you would you want to see happen? That's such a big question. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Well, one of the things that I am working on right now, and I'm actually like in talks with people about it, um, is a a girls filmmaking camp um, in association with Filmstreams. So one of the things I really care about, I think is really important, is girls empowerment. Um, But not just that. So, I mean, yes, the filmmaking is important. It's important to the mission of Filmstreams. But I think um, most of all, it's important for girls to be able to tell their own stories um, I think especially like in light of the political situation, that's going to become more and more important for women to be able to speak about their needs, um, to reclaim their bodies, to basically have outlets through which they can support one another and work with each other. You know, beginning young with a girls camp of any kind, right, or, or any um, kind of situation that allows young women to come together, like that is really empowering thing and it's most empowering when you're making art because I think art is like I said before like really important it's a really important political act to make art well there's so many amazing organizations doing so many amazing things so I will just advocate on behalf of the library because Mm -hmm. I love my library (laughs) (laughs) so do I (laughs) so Accessibility, and if if my one wish is like library, more support for the library, and and it is truly the last democracy that everybody has. So we want to make sure that we have everything that they are asking for. Um, So, and that includes like you know we have a gallery that anybody can come in and look at the art and meet the artists, and it's been amazing. I'm going to give the last word to you, Keisha, on that. For me, I would um, just say to recognize the importance of art and the ability to allow people to express themselves through it, whether it's music or film or whatever the case may be, and to not look at it as just the elective. Um, It's very important to be artistic and expressive in whatever way you want that to be, and to allow kids to, to seek opportunities in careers and professional opportunities within art I think that we have a tendency to dumb it down and even you know reflecting back on my years in high school it was something that um, adults didn't take seriously so it's just important to recognize the importance of art and taking it seriously and allowing people to express themselves um, in whatever avenue that that tends to be. Well what I think is really interesting is that that phenomena of art as an elective, right, or art not being taken seriously as a career choice seems like a fundamentally American way of looking at art. Like the Parisians Mm -hmm. don't look at art that way. Mm -hmm. Like the Swedes don't look at art that way. Like they have like national arts councils that Mm -hmm. not only preserve art, but are dedicated to funding artists and funding filmmakers and funding uh, performers and all of these things. And so... I kind of wonder why why the United States, with its proliferation of, like, great art and artists, mm-hmm. um, is one of the few places that, like, would not put a poet, like, on their money in the way that other countries do. I'd like to thank you all for 
being a part of uh, the show today. So thank you, Amy Mather. Thank you, Diana Martinez. And thank you, Keisha Holloway. Thank you. That's the end of this week's show. Join me next week for more conversation, community, and the people that bring community to life.